Welcome to Parsha Panorama for Parsha's Vayetze, where now the camera has shifted its focus solely onto Yaakov Avinu. Parsha's told us we had Yitzchak and Rivka, and then the whole conflict as to who would receive the blessings. Last week we spoke about what the original plan was for Esav, and if Yaakov was ever meant to not be number one. So we spoke about a lot of that. And then we saw two reasons for Yaakov leaving home, essentially. And one of those reasons was the obvious reason that Rivka sent him off, which was to escape Esav, because Esav hated him and wanted to kill him. And the other reason was to get married. Now, something to think about, it's a little bit strange, that Yaakov had not gotten married up until that point. Right, He was 63 years old when his parents sent him out of the house to get married. Esav um, obviously had been married already by age 40 um, to imitate his father. But Yaakov is only now leaving the tent, so to speak. Um, right, The Ishtam Yosheva Halim is leaving the tent and he's going out to the world. And this might say something about the larger picture of what we're going to see in Parshas Vayetze. One question I want you to have at the back of your mind while we go through Vayetze is why exactly it is that Yaakov Avinu um, did not leave until this point, until he got the signal from his parents to go get married. Right? I'm not concerned as to the question, why didn't, Yaakov, why didn't Yaakov leave to escape Esav long ago? Because... Esav obviously didn't want to kill him until that point. Once Esav wanted to kill him, that was a good reason to leave Esav at that point. My priority right now is Yaakov's marriage. That would not take place until Yaakov was um, until Yaakov was given the signal either. And the question is why that couldn't take place earlier. And it, it could be this um, this whole you know Yaakov going to to Haran to find a wife, which seems to be packed into and baked into the, the, the plan for furthering the mission of Klal Yisrael, which is still being formed, that he would have to find a wife, just like Yitzchak needed a wife from Avraham's family, so Yaakov was going to need a wife from Avraham's family. In fact, many Mepharshim, among them the Malbim, the Nitziv, um, I believe the Radak says this too, um, and the Sfarno, they all say that from the fact that Esau um, was not warned not to marry a Canaanite wife, right, from Chiti. Um, so that, that, that shows you that Yitzchak never intended for Esav to be number one. When it came to Yaakov's marriage, Esav went ahead and warned him and said, make sure you only marry within the family. So that says a lot about, about the chosenness of Yaakov Avinu. What it doesn't completely explain is why Yaakov needed the signal to go out and get married. So keep that on the back burner for now. And now we're going to talk about what exactly Vayetze is. So we've shifted focus to, as we said, to Yaakov Avinu. And what's apparently clear is, and it's, at this point it should be abundantly clear, is that Yaakov is the chosen one. Um, however he got there, he's the chosen one. And now continuing the mission of Avraham Avinu, right? We said that he is now the Zera Avraham. That's what Yitzchak was looking for. And what is the job of the Zera Avraham? What does being the Zera Avraham entail? Well, 
going all the way back to Bereshus. So we try to introduce this every single time. The reason is so that we could see that bigger picture. God created the world in Bereshus, and the goal was to give mankind the ultimate good. And when mankind failed, generation after generation, and then the Dor HaMabal, and the Dor HaFlaga, Hashem said, let's focus on one person, and through that one person, he'll be the conduit through which the entire world can receive blessing. That would be the Av HaMon Gayim, Av HaMavinu. But in order to be the Av HaMon Gayim, he would still have to be on a plateau, on his own pedestal. And that's why it was not enough for Avraham just to be a father to everybody, but Avraham had to have a special son, the Zera Avraham, who would... Uh, follow his path that would take the torch from him and then be the next Avhamon Goyim. So um, that would be Yitzchak. Yitzchak was the Zerah Avraham. And now Yitzchak has these two kids and we know that we said that um, it, it was very possible that it could have been both Yitzchak, sorry, it could have been both Yaakov and Esav, but for one reason or another, based on poor decisions made by Esav perhaps, um, I would say definitely, so now Yaakov is the one that's bearing the mission. That's where we are now. Yaakov is the one who is the Zer Avram. He has the mission of Avraham and Yitzchak on his shoulders. And now we have these, again, these two reasons for Yaakov leaving home, escaping Esav on the one hand, and getting married to, um, to find a wife on the other hand. And actually the Beis HaLevi says that I think it's the base Alevi, says that, um, that that's alluded to, these two reasons, Vayetze Yaakov mi Sheva, and then Vayelech Harana. doesn't need to say both. Rashi says the famous idea that when a person leaves a town, so why does the Chumash right go out of its way to say Vayetze? Um, it doesn't need to say the fact that he left Be'er Sheva, just say that he went to Haran. And Rashi famously says that when a person, um, when a tzaddik particularly, leaves somewhere, so he has a hadra, and, or a hadara, or, and, a, and a hod, and a ziva that comes with him, and that leaves an impression on the place that he leaves. Right? But the Beis HaLevi says that the Vayetse is a reference to what Yaakov was escaping. This was in fulfillment of Kibbut Aim. His mother said, you better get away from Esav. And in fulfillment of Kibbut Av, is Vayelech Harona, go get married to a wife who is from the family and not from, um, you know, not from Canaan. But anyway, so this is Yaakov leaving home. Now, what are the components, the specific components of Parshas Vayetse? So before we go back to any of our questions, and before I introduce the, some more questions, so in this very sticky and packed Parsha, um, we'll, I'll, we'll just mention three sections. I would say there are three major sections to the Parsha, and it's pretty easy this time. We have Yaakov in route to Charan, then we have Yaakov in Charan, and then we have Yaakov leaving Charan. Now, we could be more specific, but again, it's very simple that there's Yaakov on the way to Charan, Yaakov in Charan, and then Yaakov leaving Charan. So obviously, there's a lot of stuff that happens along the way in these three sections, right? When Yaakov is en route to Charan, that's where Yaakov goes to sleep on the stones, and he, or, and he has the stones protecting him, and he has the dream with the ladder, which we'll have to you know t- talk about a little bit, like well, what's the significance of that dream? Hashem appears to him for the first time in this dream, and he sees the angels running up and down, and then when when Yaakov finally gets closer to Haran, he, he's in a field where he sees the Be'er, and there are people, there are, there are shepherds there, and Yaakov rolls the rock off the, off the well, and there, um, there's a lot of 
Torah to be said about how Yaakov resembles his mother Rivka, um, um, exerting um, and displaying superhuman strength to feed animals, right? So Yaakov, um, and also this is um, the well is where Rivka um, was found, and now Yaakov would find his wife at a, at a well. So we, there's a lot there, but that's all of the story of Yaakov on his way to Haran. Now we get to Yaakov in Haran. Now that's the really sticky part, because that's where Yaakov, indeed, he finds, um, he, where he gets married, or he found his wife at the well, and then he gets married, but of course he doesn't just get married, he gets married four times. So how did that happen? So that's something we have to talk about. But in the house of Lavan, there's a lot of business arrangements, there's a lot of marriages, a lot of pregnancies, there's barrenness, right, on the part of Rachel Imenu. There, there are more marriages to Bilha and to Zilpa. There's the whole exchange with the Dudaim, the flowers, right? Leah's son Ruvain has flowers and Rachel wants them for some reason. And um, if we had more time, maybe we would talk about the identity of the Dudaim and why Rachel wanted them. There's a lot to be said about that that we're not going to say. And then Yaakov wants to leave once Yosef is finally born um, to Rachel. And then uh, Lavan wants to hold him back for more business arrangements in which Yaakov empties out Lavan's bank account and then, um, and then ultimately Yaakov decides he wants to run away. Well, actually, Hashem says it's time for you to leave. Yaakov um, discusses this with the wives. They all pick up and go. And then finally we get to the last section of Yaakov on his way out of Haran. And in that section, so that's Yaakov's flight, Lavan pursues him. Also, there's the... Side story, another issue that we can't really um, spend so much time on is the Trophim. Rachel steals the Trophim. What were the Trophim? What was, what, what was their special power? Um, why did Rachel want to deprive Lavan of the Trophim? So there's the famous approach from Chazal, Vodazara. She was trying to clean him up of a Vodazara. But there's a lot to be said about the Trophim. There's a lot of academic explanations, which, honestly, I, I'm not compelled by them. But there, there are a lot of explanations out there. And, of course, just before the very end, we have the treaty, the, where Yaakov and Lavan decide to agree to disagree, and they make a treaty, and they can't cross each other's paths. And Yaakov calls the monument Galed. Lavan refers to it with the Aramaic vernacular, Yagar Sahadusa. And then Yaakov ultimately leaves, they, they, and Yaakov is on his way back to um, Eretz Yisrael. So again, in, um, so on the way to Haran, in Haran, leaving Haran. That's basically it. Yaakov goes, he has an agenda, he, finishes, and, you know, he fulfills that agenda, and then he leaves, and then he's out. So that's really, and then, he's on, then uh, from there, he's on his way back home to meet his family again. And we know that he's ultimately going to be meeting Esau and Yitzchak. He will not be meeting um, Rivka because um, she will be, um, she will have passed away by the time he gets back. And then we know that Rachel's also. But that's that's all for next week. In the meantime, in the meantime, what we have to discuss is um, a, a, another large picture question. And that is, what is, well, certainly the, 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 the global question is, what does Vayetze serve on the map of the entire Torah? And then there's the question of the stickiness of all of the marriages. It's, it's interesting and kind of strange that Yaakov goes to Haran looking to get married, presumably to one woman. He ends up getting married to four women. Why? Because apparently three wasn't enough, and two wasn't enough, and one wasn't enough. But why? 
So there is a, a I would say, a push-up shot answer to the question, to these questions rather, and then there is a meta shot to these questions. And in fact, I think in Vallete as a whole, there is a basic storyline, you know, a basic push-up shot storyline, but there are a number of meta stories that are taking place in Vallete. And I'll explain them as follows. So in terms of why Yaakov didn't get married all, you know, up until this point. So I think the answer to that question will actually emerge from the question about why Yaakov, in fact, got married so many times once he did. You know, when, when it rains, it pours, right? Yaakov is not getting married at all. At age 84, he gets married, and then boom, 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 he's getting married a lot. So what's going on? So obviously the push-up shot of all of this, why Yaakov ends up marrying four women, is that, you know, if you follow the narrative, the reason becomes clear. The only reason he's married to Leah is because Lavan played a trick. Right? He wanted to marry Rachel. Rachel was, to his understanding, his bashert, the one that he wanted, and um, Lavan, presumably to make a buck off of Yaakov, to make him work even longer, so Lavan added Leah to the mix. And so then Yaakov ended up, um, you know, Mimela, Yaakov ends up married to both Rachel and to Leah because... Um, you know, again, there's the one he wanted and there's the one he was given. So, Lavan is the reason, at least, why Yaakov gets married twice. Okay, so that, that's Hushapshad explanation for that. And then, why Bilha? So, Bilha was because Rachel was barren and Rachel wanted to have kids, so, that, so Bilha ended up getting introduced to the marriage. Okay, so that's wife number three for Yaakov. Now, what's strange and hard to understand is why Zilpah was added to the marriage. And here you need a, you need a little bit of help from some of the Mepharshim. So I'm going to come back to the Ramban in a second. The Ramban, I think, gives the meta shot, which I think is the most important. But Radak says that Leah saw she was barren, this is what the Chumash says, and she still wanted more kids. And so, just like Rachel gave Bilha. So she gave Zilpah, and Zilpah would be her representative, her surrogate for, for the kids that she was going to have. Um, the tour talks about, and you know, the tour and the Ramban are similar, so I'll say that, I'll give the tour in a second. The Mitziv um, actually says um, something to the effect of that Zilpah was actually jealous of Bilha, and Leah felt a responsibility to, to help Zilpah. So she actually introduced Zilpa to the marriage so Zilpa can have kids. And Leah Imeinu saw this as something that was commendable because later when she has kids, she says that I, I received, when, when Leah has more kids, she says, I, I received extra schar because I introduced my handmaidens in the marriage, the self-sacrifice. So these are different pshat explanations as to why Zilpa was introduced to the marriage. So with all these pshat explanations, you can say... You know, it was a coincidence, you know, that, um, you know, that one thing led to another, and that's why Yaakov ended up coincidentally marrying four women. Now, obviously there has to be a larger picture discussion here, right? Because you could say, oh, well, you know, Lovin got involved, and that's why Leah was introduced to this marriage. But I will argue um, on a certain account, and that is that this is not the... The, the last time Lovin would try to trick Yaakov, and yet Hashem seems to spare Yaakov from some of Lovin's tricks. Hundreds of 
business arrangements and wages changed by Lavan. And Hashem sends a malach to instruct Yaakov how to deal with those business arrangements so that Yaakov could win every business deal. Now, it seems that it's a little bit late for Hashem to be sending um, reinforcements to help Yaakov in, in his, his uh, business wars against Lavan because the, probably the biggest, most impactful trick and ruse of Lavan's was, in, was switching Yaakov's wives on him. And you would think Hashem would have saved him there. Now here's where we get to the metap shot. The reason why that didn't happen was because apparently Yaakov was destined to be married to all four of these women. That's the metap shot. And why? Why is that? Why is that? And so now we get to the Ramban's explanation. Why was Zilpah introduced to the marriage? Zilpah was introduced to the marriage, says the Ramban, because, and he says, he, he makes a lot of good arguments. Why? Leah had kids. She didn't need more kids. Radak says she wanted more kids. Okay, that's a, that's a suggestion. But Ramban says she didn't need more kids. She already had a majority of the children. And at least at the, at, the, at the current moment. And it seems strange to introduce more co-wives. Right? One of the meta-stories in this parsha is that there's a clear tension. You know, even though Leah and Rachel, according to Chazal, are doing very much to be Moseris Nafsha for one another, um, there's obviously a tension. They each have what the other one wants. Right? Leah has kids, but she wants her husband's love. Rachel has her husband's love, but she wants kids. But in the meantime, for Leah to introduce more co-wives seems very counterproductive to her cause. So says the Ramban, what you're forced to say, and this is really in line with Chazal, and, and that is that these Imahos were well aware because they had a divine inspiration. They knew there were supposed to be 12 uh, Shvatim, and they didn't quite know, they didn't quite know um, who was going to bear whom. And Leah said, Okay, you know, there's there's only you know so many women um, that can that can continue bearing the shvatim. Right, women are very limited in how many children they can bear and rear. Right, men can just um, you know the, just as the bio, the biology is that men can continue to have kids, they can just keep going. Women are are much more limited. In fact, women have a um, have a limited amount of eggs, so they they don't have the same um, opportunity. So Leah says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to introduce another woman to the marriage. This way we can beget these generations. We can have these children. And this is where we get to the larger meta-story, or one of the two um, larger meta-stories in Vayetze. Vayetze is about Yaakov building the family of Klal Yisrael. Right? We're going back to what we said, the point of the story, of the, 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 the Yaakov's, um, Yaakov's mission, we're going to get to really there. There, there are two missions that Yaakov has. There's the mission of the Birkas Avraham, the Zera Avraham, that Yaakov, like Yitzchak, like Avraham, is going to be the conduit through which the entire world receives blessing. Whoever attaches themselves to Yaakov Avinu and his family, whoever makes themselves subservient to Yaakov Avinu and his family, so they'll get blessing. Now it's very, very difficult for one person to be the one through whom the entire world is blessed. Right, that's what Avraham was, but necessarily one person is going to be limited. Now, Yaakov Avinu is going to bear a bunch of children, 
and these will become tribes, and tribes will become an entire nation. Right? So what's the point of that? The more Jews, the more Yidin there are in the world, the more of the B'nai Israel there are, the greater it is, the greater opportunity we have to reach the masses, to be the cause of blessing to the entire world around us. What you see at the Siyam Hashas with all of the Jews all together, that's the point of Parshas Vayetze. Now, why is 12 the magic number? That's a fair question. But the point is, Avraham had only one Zara Avraham in, in Yitzchak. Right? The, Avraham had other kids, but those were just going to be regular kids. They weren't going to be his Zara. Yitzchak had the opportunity maybe to have two um, uh, uh, progenitors, or, or uh, rather two progeny, um, two progeny to carry the mission, and it ended up being one. But Yitzchak would, would be a progenitor of only one at this point. But now Yaakov was the one. Yaakov is the Bechir Tashab Avos. This is where the first family is finalized. Yaakov Avinu's family is the first family. And now we're building that family. And as to the question, why didn't Yaakov get married until this point? So I think this speaks a little bit to what Yaakov's mission was at this point. All right, so Yaakov, we knew up until now, was the Ishtam Yoshev Ohalem. He was very sheltered. He was very timimastik. He was very innocent. And you could say that his attachment to Torah and his life of isolation was something that he was very comforted in. He was so innocent that he did not feel that regular biological need to, to move out and to, and to produce. He was fine where he was. But Rivka broke him out of his, out of his shell. Rivka said, okay, it's time for you to go out into the world. And I think the starting point of that was to actually put on the garb of Esav and do something crazy, so to speak. To do something that is a little bit controversial, but al-derech ratzon Hashem, to actually get out, not to wholly lose his innocence, but to develop the skills needed to go out into the world and to live in the world to fulfill the mission of Avraham Avinu. Originally, Esav and Yaakov were supposed to do that together. Esav with the physicality, the materialism, and Yaakov with the spirituality. But Yaakov now wears two hats. One of those hats is the hat that was, was originally supposed to be worn by Esav. That's the hat of going out into the material world. And of course, the spiritual mission of Yaakov has not changed. So Yaakov has these two missions. But Yaakov has his eyes set on building the nation of Klal Yisrael. And he has to do that with the spiritual energy, and he has to do it with the, the, the material energy. This, I think, is the deeper message of Yaakov's dream about the ladder. Right? Because Yaakov has this dream. There's a ladder that's connecting Shemayim and Aretz. That represents Yaakov's two missions. Shemayim, that's the Yaakov mission. Aretz, that was originally the Esav mission. Now Yaakov has to be the nexus between the two. Yaakov is doing it all by himself. It's interesting that he goes out and sees a Be'er Basadeh. When he sees the well, it's in the middle of a Sadeh. Sadeh is the terrain of Esav, but now it's Yaakov's terrain. So Yaakov has this dream and he says, Oh my gosh, Yesh Elohim, Yesh Hashem I didn't realize that God was in this place. 
this place might be a reference to the material world. Yaakov has just left the base Madrash according to Chazal of, of Yeshiva Shem Ve'eber. And now Yaakov is going out into the world. And he sees that Hashem is there too. Yaakov's travel to Charon represents this mission of leaving the Ohel, leaving the Yeshiva, and actually going out into the world to earn Parnassah, to build a family, to do all the things that a person in this world has to do to create legions. And when Yaakov actually gets down there, right, and so with the help of his parents, with with, with the go-ahead from Yitzchak and Rivka, Yaakov goes down to build a family. And this is what Yaakov says to Lavan, actually. He says, my days have filled, I've done everything I'm supposed to do, I'm old now, and I need to start a family. Yaakov, the whole reason Yaakov goes down, Yaakov doesn't go down to get married and pleasure himself. He goes down to get married so he can build Hashem's nation. And it seems, you get this idea from Chazal and, and, and a handful of the Rishonim, and the, the idea is that Yaakov and the Imahos had an overt plan to build the legions, to build the nation of Klal Yisrael that Hashem had designated for them. They are building that first family the family that will become tribes, that will become a nation, through which the entire world can receive that blessing, can receive the ultimate good for which God created the world in the first place. That's what's happening in this Parsha. Now, among the meta-stories in our Parsha, as I mentioned, so Yaakov is a little bit wrestling with his, his dual role, right? On the one hand, his spiritual mission of Yaakov and his material mission, which was originally designated for Esav. Understanding that Yaakov has these two missions can help us understand why Yaakov at least had to have two wives, Rachel and Leah, right? Everybody thought that Leah was going to marry Esav. Turns out that Yaakov now has to marry them both. And it's because perhaps Yaakov has this dual mission, right? So at this point, Yaakov is bearing this mission, the tour just adds on to all of this that the whole point is to, you know, to have kids to be inhabitants of the land of Canaan, right? You're going to give an entire nation, or rather, what you're going to give an entire land to one person. What's one person going to do with it? Yaakov understood if he's inheriting Eretz Canaan, that means that he's supposed to fill it up with people, with nations, with legions. So this is what Yaakov's um, overt mission is as he comes down there. That's not the hidden part. The difficulty of this mission is the sketchiness that comes with it. Lavan just trying to make business deals off Yaakov. Well, the other meta story in this Parsha is Yaakov's struggle. All the business that Yaakov does with Lavan, you could, you could envision having a Parsha without talking all about those nitty-gritties. Why are those nitty-gritties there? And this speaks to the struggle that Yaakov has with the material mission of Esav. Yaakov leaves home to take on the mission of Yaakov and the mission of Esav. Why do we hear all these stories about Lavan and the business wages and the cunning deals and the trickery? And you know, in a certain sense, it seems that Yaakov has to prepare for Lavan's trickery and he seems to have a hunch that there's going to be some trickery. What's this story about? Why do we have this entire story? So the, I think the story is about Yaakov as we mentioned earlier, was a man of innocence. He was a man of Tamimus. And one of the risks of going out into the real world is losing that innocence and being consumed by 
the Eitzerhara, being consumed by the needs of the material world, which sometimes forces us to engage in controversial behavior that um, will further and advance our material needs and gains, but will distance us from Hashem. Now, a person has, we, we learned from last week's parsha told us where Yaakov has to put on Esav's garb and he actually has to try to engage in trickery, but he has to do it al pirat on Hashem. That's the big test. See, you know, it, when we can argue that honesty is the best policy, and it is, and Ratzon Hashem demands that we act with morals and honesty, with tamimus, that we are wholesome and we're innocent and we're clean. But in order to combat the evil, cunning forces in the world, you also need to be cunning. Not evil, but cunning. You need to be clever. You need to know how to combat those things. Right? Imagine like being a detective, you have to know how the criminal works. Or to be a policeman, you have to know how the criminal works. And this is what Yaakov had to do. He had to adopt Esau and Lavan-like skills, but not let it corrupt who he was. Right? In next week's Parsha, we're going to see it when he says, I'm Lavan Garti, but I didn't learn from his ways. Meaning, I learned how to cope with the material world, but I didn't get infected by it. In other words, I maintained my innocence all while adopting the, the midah of being able to be cunning. Yaakov leaves his tent, and then he goes out into the world and learns a thing or two. But the struggle is, is Yaakov going to maintain his honesty and innocence all throughout? So that's one of the meta stories here. And the struggle is really real, and we know this because Yaakov's life hereafter, here and thereafter, is going to be a life that's surrounded by trickery, by deceit. It's going to infect his family, and his family is going to have to figure out how to deal with this. It couldn't just be that Yaakov builds a happy family who lives happy, you know, happily ever after. Because of Lavan and because of the ace of mission, the, Yaakov, the nature of the ace of mission that Yaakov has taken on, we get to the other meta story again of the tension between Yaakov's wives, which turns into tension between Yaakov's kids. Now, what's really amazing is that although there is that tension, Yaakov's own wives seem to be unified on one matter, and that is that they both believe that their father has sold them out. They basically say this much. Um, when Yaakov says, okay, it's time for us to leave, and Hashem said we should leave, so Rachel and Leah make an interesting argument. They say, yeah, our father has sold us. You know, normally a father, Rashi says, normally a father pays a dowry when he's marrying off his daughters, but us, he just sold us. He just tried to make money off us. Lavan effectively turned his own daughters into rival wives just so that he could make financial gain. And if we can understand that that's the evil of the material world and the corrupt evil world out there, if we're able to put that aside and become unified for the purpose of creating Hashem's nation, being Hashem's holy, elevated people so that other people can be blessed through us, then we can succeed. But this is the challenge of Yaakov's family, right? And this is alluded to when Yaakov goes to sleep on those rocks. All of the rocks are are fending for themselves. They all want the tzaddik to lie down on them. But the question is, can they be unified for the higher mission? Can they be unified? That's the question that Rachel and Leah face. That's the question that their kids will face. 
That's the question that Yaakov honestly faces as he's going to go back to face Esav in next week's Parsha. But that's what we have in front of us. On the one hand, the, the larger mission of Yaakov building a family, the Shifteka, which the, his wives were completely unified with him in that mission. And then there's, are we going to let the Esav Lavan mentality infect us? It's going to be a natural challenge for Yaakov's family. But as Hashem's people, although they will struggle, they will be able to overcome it. That's something that we're going to see unfold in the coming Parshios. And Sebez Shem, we will pick up next time with the furthering of that meta story, that story of Yaakov and the family of Klaistral, the family through whom the entire world will be blessed. Everyone have a wonderful Shabbos, and Bezra Hashem will pick up with Parshas Vayishlach.